And we're now going to read and hear his word. Uh, first of all, from Psalm 5. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favour as with a shield. The second reading is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13 on page 1239. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring Jesus with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Tonight's Bible passage is about death. And so I want to ask you how you feel about the concept of death. Is it something that seems real or far away? Not just the concept of death, of course, but how do you feel personally about death? Have you known people who have died? And how do you feel about that? Do you have a sense that you one day will die and how do you feel about that tonight we're talking about death and in particular about grief and it is a very difficult subject it's no wonder is it that this subject is so unpleasant that we never talk about it for what on earth would you say well, thank God, God has plenty to say about death and he wants us not to be ignorant. He wants us to know 
so that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And if you think you need help to be able to do that, then this is the right part of the Bible tonight. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. In this verse, God makes a very big claim, doesn't he? That the rest of men have no hope. He's talking here to a group of Christians who have been Christians for just a short while, and he says to them, the rest of mankind, men and women, have no hope. Hope here in the sense of in the face of death. The rest of mankind, other than Jesus, have no hope. You see that, I think, don't you, when you go to a, a secular, a non-Christian funeral service. Have you ever been to one of those? Where you remember the person, you read some poems, you listen to some songs, but there is really nothing to say because there is no hope. The person has simply gone. I was at a Christian funeral service once, but during the eulogy, the man's brother got up to speak. And he made it very clear that as far as he was concerned, his brother was gone, dead and gone. But he shared with us a number of amusing and engaging and touching stories about his brother, which he wanted us to know. For in his mind, the only way to achieve immortality, the only sense in which we live on, is in the memory of those who are left. And so in particular, he shared with us a story that he remembered from his brother's childhood, which I think he had never shared with anyone before. It was his treasure, do you see? And he wanted it now to live on in us because he realized that he one day would be gone as well. And that, he says, was my brother's, is my brother's immortality. There is nothing more. It was so bleak, so confronting, I felt, that I've never forgotten it. Sadly, though, I've completely forgotten what the memory was, do you see? So he was entrusting to me and the hundred other people at the service this memory, and that was the way his brother was going to live on, and yet it has not. And in a short while, we are dead and forgotten, do you see? The rest of men have no hope. And it is not just according to the gospel that they see no hope in the face of death. No, the proclamation of the gospel says they have no hope. Paul came to the Thessalonians. He told them how Jesus had died, risen again, and was coming back as judge. And if they put their trust in him, then he would rescue them from the coming wrath. Chapter 1, verse 10. And they did. But what does that mean for everyone else? There is a coming wrath, and without Jesus, men and women have no hope. Do you believe that? 
Well, the Thessalonians did. And they were so waiting for Jesus to return that just a few months later, when some of their number had actually died and were not going to be there when Jesus returned, it produced a terrible conundrum for them. Oh no, our friends have missed out. They've missed out on the coming of this wonderful Jesus that we are waiting for. Will they miss out on everything that he brings? That's the issue in verse 13, and it's something that Paul had not covered. Verse 13, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Clearly here he's not talking about some concern they have of those who sleep at night. They're quite used to that, aren't they? It's a euphemism, a euphemism for death. Do we have those? Yes. He's passed on, we say. He's no longer with us. In the first century, the main euphemism was sleep. Death was described as sleep. It sounded better, but it did not mean there was any hope. No, very few people in the first century had any idea, any expectation that there was life after death. Death was simply sleep that did not end. Like in the French Revolution, when the government wanted to get rid of Christianity from people's beliefs and their lifestyle, they set out a law that said in all the cemeteries they were to put up a sign at the entrance which said this, death is an eternal sleep. There is nothing more. Is that what Paul means here? That when Christians die, they are simply in an eternal sleep? Of course not. Christians in the first century took this euphemism and gave it a gospel meaning. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Clearly, Christians have hope about those who have fallen asleep. In what sense have they fallen asleep? They're alive with Jesus now. Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Where are they who have fallen asleep? They are with Jesus. Down in verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. They are asleep but will rise. And where are they now? They are in Christ. Ephesians 1 says you have every spiritual blessing if you are in Christ. Christians who have died have fallen asleep but what sort of sleep is it? Is it some sort of suspended animation and one day they will wake up and not having been aware that they've been asleep for 2,000 years? No. It's much better than that. Do you remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Paul, as he contemplated whether he should die or stay with this group of Christians, said... I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. We desire to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Yes, from our perspective, Christians who have died are asleep. They're asleep to us. But they're alive with Jesus now, in heaven, conscious 
of being with Jesus, which is better by far. Dick McNeil became a member of our church when he retired, which means he's been a, he was a member of our church for longer than I've been alive. And he was here every Sunday morning and night, except for the 8 a.m. service, which was for the old people. 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. And if he was not here, what was the question that we asked? Where's Dick? And sometimes the answer more and more was, He's in hospital because that would be the only reason that he's not here until finally he died at the grand old age of 99 earlier this year. And so he's not in the second front row on the right. So where's Dick now? Well, his body, clearly, is not here. His body has been cremated. But his spirit, the real dig, is with Jesus. Now, alive and conscious of where he is. And so do not grieve as those who have no hope for Dick McNeil. He is alive with Jesus now. And if you have other friends and family whom you loved, who you know trusted in Jesus, and you say to yourself, where are they now? We have a clear answer. Do not be ignorant and do not grieve as those who have no hope. They are alive with Jesus now. But it gets better than that. God will bring them with Jesus now. Then, verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Here is the great coming. Last month I was part of a great coming. I was staying in the city for a big meeting, something called the Synod, and I was going for a jog around the Opera House and the Botanic Gardens. And as I went around the Opera House, there were all these barricades that stopped me jogging where I wanted to go. There was something on that day, clearly. And I almost went up to one of the policemen and just asked him, what's on today, by the way? Until I saw these two young girls with these big handmade signs with lots of love hearts on them, We love you, Harry. We love you, Megan. And I knew who was coming. So quickly I took a picture and put it around the WhatsApp of my family so that they would know and not miss out on knowing. I had to do some work that day, so I didn't sit around in the crowd for the next four hours waiting for a glimpse. I went back up and on the 24th floor of where I was staying... I got out on the balcony and took a selfie with Harry and Meghan (laughs) and about 4,000 other people. I didn't want to miss this great coming. But this is the coming. Not some prince and American uh, actress 
from England. No, this will be the Lord come down from heaven. There won't be announced by TV or by barricades or by girls with hand-drawn signs. There'll be a loud command, the voice of an archangel and a trumpet call of God. There won't be a few thousand fans. There'll be millions of dead people rising. And those who are left will meet them in the air because this is the coming. It's hard to picture, hard to imagine. You want to know more details, don't you? But this is all you need to know. There's no which country is attacking which country and what are all the details of history you need to look for. Who cares? It'll be obvious when it comes. You will not miss it. But will you miss out? Will you miss out if you have already died? That's the question for the Thessalonians. No, he says. We who are left will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ will rise first. Dick McNeil never missed anything. If I put my foot wrong, he would point it out to me. He would never miss a church event if he could possibly help it. He didn't want to miss out. Will he miss out on this coming of Jesus because he has now died before Jesus returned? Of course not, says Paul, along with the millions of other Christians who have died before Jesus returns and us if we die before Jesus returns as well. It is the greatest coming of all time and those who have fallen asleep will not miss out. So do not grieve like those who have no But it gets better than that. The coming is not the climax, is it? Verse 17, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Harry and Meghan coming was exciting, and I'm sorry you missed it. But do you know they didn't even say hello to me? And they went home again, and I'm pretty sure I will never see them again. This is a better coming, the coming of Jesus, and we will be with the Lord forever. The Lord of the universe who died for us, who we now love but do not see, we will see. We will be with him, and there will be no more sin or suffering and no more grief. And not only that, do you see, we will be with the Lord forever. But don't miss the pronoun. We will be with the Lord forever. Who is the we in this sentence? It's the two groups from before, those who have fallen asleep and those who are still alive when he comes. We miss Dick McNeil. And there are many people whom you miss because they have fallen asleep. Will we see them again? Yes, says Paul. For all those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will be gathered together with anyone who is left. And together we will be with the Lord forever. So do not grieve like the rest of men 
who have no hope. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. They're alive with Jesus now. God will bring them with Jesus then, and together we will be with the Lord forever. So do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. It does all sound like wishful thinking, though, doesn't it? Don't you think? You want to believe this is true. And in my experience, there are very, very few people who actually believe that death is really the end for those they love. I don't think I've ever been in a funeral interview with the family as they're grieving for their, their family member who's just died to have one of them say, look, they're dead and gone. No, they all believe, they all want to believe that they are now in a better place, that they are now free from pain, that they are now in peace. Because that's what they want to believe. But frankly, it is wishful thinking. What reason do they have for thinking that? I was talking with someone a while back whose family member had died and she knew he was dying and so before he died, she asked him when he was on the other side to give her a sign, send an animal in an unusual way so that I know it's you and I know you're okay. Sure enough, a few weeks after he died, an animal came in what she thought was an unusual way, and she took that as a clear sign that everything was okay for him. I said to her, I think I have a much better sign than that, a sure sign. Because, you know, Jesus said he would die, and he did. Jesus said he would rise, and he did. And because he died, and because he rose, and because not just one person saw it, but lots of people saw it, I'm sure it's true. And because it's true for him, it'll be true for me as well. That's what it says in verse 14, isn't it? We believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Do you see how he starts with what they already believe? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you believe that? That's the basis for the Christian hope. If you're not sure about that, check it out. There's historical evidence for it. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so, he says to the Thessalonians, who are ignorant of these things at this stage, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Do you see? Because this happened to Jesus, this has implications for what will happen to our Christian friends who have died for us when we die. For what happens to Jesus happens to us. Because Christians are united with Jesus. I was listening to a Bible talk on this very passage this week and someone explained it this way. He said, Christians are suckers. There's a fish called the remora fish, better known as the sucker fish. And it doesn't swim around the ocean like most fish do. It sucks. It has suction cups and it sucks onto a shark. And so it travels around the ocean with the shark. Where the shark goes, it goes. 
And that's good for the remora fish, if you think about it. I take it there's something in it for the shark, but I'm not sure what that is. Where the shark goes, it goes. And so do you think the remora fish is scared when it's going through the open ocean? No. When it's going through dangerous parts of the oceans, is it scared? No. Why not? It's with the shark. Wherever the shark goes, it goes, and nothing is going to attack it. Christians are sucker fish. We are attached to Jesus. We are the dead in Christ when we die. We are in Christ now. And what happens to Jesus happens to us. He died, we will die. He rose, we will rise. And if you're sure that Jesus died and rose again, you can be sure that you will die and rise again. It's not wishful thinking. It is certain because of what Jesus has done. And if you think about that for a moment, that is very comforting. For imagine if you heard that you were going to die. You're given a, you're, you have a terminal illness and told you have a month to live. You have time with your loved ones. Yes, they are with you. But in the end, they will not be with you. What if they are not there when you breathe your final breath at the hospital? What if they are there when you breathe your final breath, but at that next moment, they will not be with you? Do you see? At the point of death, they will not be there. And the moment later, they will not be there. Death is a very lonely experience unless you're a Christian. Are you ever separated from Jesus? No. Are you ever separated from Jesus as you go through the process of death? If your loved one is alone when they die, are they alone? No. Because we are attached to Jesus. We are united with him. And he will be with us every step of the way and we will be with him every step of the way. Here is confidence and certainty and comfort. So do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. They're alive with Jesus now. God will bring them with Jesus then. And we will all be with the Lord forever for... Jesus died and rose again and we're united to him. But I want to be honest with you, Christians still grieve. Sometimes Christians act as if Christians shouldn't grieve. I heard about a minister once who, as he walked out of each funeral, would whistle happily, trying to tell people a message they should get over it. That's awful, isn't it? We wouldn't be as crass as that, but we might think after a few months, oh, aren't they over it by now? After all, he's now in heaven. No. You never get over grief, do you? You just learn to live with it. And even if the person you love is now with Jesus and will come back with Jesus and you'll be with the Lord forever, you still have plenty to grieve for, don't you? You grieve in your loneliness without them. You grieve because you're trying to cope 
without them. You grieve because there might have been unresolved issues between you and you can't resolve them. You grieve because who am I now? Now that they are gone and I'm on my own, their feelings are just as strong and they go on for just as long. And if the other person was not a Christian, as far as you know, that's even more complicated and difficult, isn't it? What difference then does it make to grieve as those with hope? How does it help? Well, a few years ago when our friend Bronwyn died at the age of 48, leaving her husband and four children, at her funeral, the minister said to us, don't grieve for Bromwen. Even though she was young and has missed out on years of life here, don't grieve for Bromwen. She has a better body now. She is in a better place now. And she has a far better husband now. Don't grieve for her. Simply grieve for yourself. That's what it is to grieve with hope. Of course, we grieve not only for other people when they are dying or die. I think we grieve for ourselves, don't we? I don't know whether you're old enough to realise this yet, but after a while you realise that you're not young and you'd much rather be young and your chances of being young again are pretty slim. And you grieve for that, for the things you can no longer do and there are no, perhaps, more events that you are looking forward to. That happens eventually in life. And you grieve for that. We shouldn't deny that. But is there hope for you? Of course there is. For the best is always still to come. So do not grieve for yourself as those who have no hope. Do you notice though right at the end of the passage that this passage actually in the end is not about you and you coping with grief. Do you see that? Verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. If you simply took these ideas home with you tonight and no longer grieved as those who have no hope, you will not have obeyed what God wants you to do. For there is a command in this passage, and it is this. Encourage each other with these words. And so when you know someone who has lost a loved one or losing someone they love, you should cook them a meal. You should listen to them for hours. You should give them a hug when they need one. But you need to speak as well. You need to encourage them with these words. When someone is depressed about their own health, about growing old, about their life passing, we need to empathise and reminisce with them and look at photos of the old days, but we also need to speak and remind them of these words. And even if we're not grieving anything at the moment, we still need to speak, don't we? For the Lord Jesus is going to return. And it seems to me that Anglicans don't talk about it much. And God wants us to. We need to encourage each other with these words to live in the light of Jesus' return. Who could you invite? Who could you encourage 
this week with these words. After the service tonight, in an email this week, a phone call, you could send a card, you could put a verse on your fridge at home. Who could you encourage with these words? For whether we are awake or asleep, we are alive with Jesus now. God will bring us together with Jesus then and together we will be with Jesus forever. It is certain. So do not grieve as those who have no hope. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have dealt with our greatest need and enemy. You have dealt with death and given us hope. So, Father, help us to grieve, to grieve genuinely at the loss of those we love and even at the loss of our years and our own health. Help us to grieve, but to grieve with hope. Father, please strengthen us to be able to grieve well. And Father, especially, help us to speak to one another, to encourage each other about the return of Jesus that we might live for that day. We pray it in his name. Amen.